0: Hello friends, welcome to 1000 words stories on the way. My name is Matthew Clark. So, I started this podcast partly just to force myself to write regularly. I've learned that I really need accountability structures to keep me in the creative process. I mean, I I love writing. And I find it very easy to neglect it, to not do it. So I really appreciate you guys listening, which helps me stay in the process. It helps me grow. But this week, thinking about writing, I thought I'd go back to where I first discovered that I loved words in elementary school. And then um, kind of demonstrate something I started learning back then that I still love to do now. All these years later, which is to go on word adventures, it's so fun to me to go down etymology rabbit holes and just just imagine connections in meaning. Um, I had a teacher who taught me not not how to use words but how to care about them. Um, I think learning is not fundamentally connected to employment. I think it's fundamentally connected to worship. I think learning is a way to behold, um, to adore, or or to participate in what God has given. So, I'm about to go full-on word nerd, if you're ready for that. Uh, But before I do, I want to let you know that Confersto registration opens 10 a.m. this coming Saturday, March 2nd. That's just a few days away. Uh, this is an intentionally small retreat, only about 50 spots available. And we've got the wonderful Lanier Ivester as a featured speaker. I'll be there speaking and sharing songs. And the Mosleys will be special musical guests. Um, actually, Rachel Mosley shared her essay on episode four of this podcast, so you can hear her and some of their music. Um, I've got a few more featured speakers and artists to announce Actually, I'll be announcing another musical guest this Wednesday, so keep a look out for that. And head over to callforstove.com to register Saturday morning. I'm I'm so excited about this retreat, and I just want you to know um, that you are invited. Okay, so it is time for some word nerdery, y'all. Here's 1,000 Words' very first etymology episode. We will look at the word diabolical, And it's surprising opposite. Recently, a friend asked me when I first fell in love with words. I remember exactly when. It was sixth grade in Miss Sinclair's class. She had a tradition that changed my life. Each week, she'd put a really big vocabulary word on the chalkboard. I remember one week the word was ostentatious. The assignment was to write a short story featuring that week's word. And here's the brilliant catch. Without looking it up. We were not allowed to find out what the word meant until after we had turned in our story. We were not being asked to get the correct answer. Just to enjoy the word. Just try it out. Imagine what you think it might mean. Enjoy its sounds and suggestions. What might it do if you let it run around in your imagination and get involved in some story? Does this word know something that you don't know? For an entire school year, we went on weekly word adventures. The assignment encouraged us to be fearless towards these alien creatures at getting to know them. And there was no test. We weren't being asked to attack and defeat the words or capture them to be used to further some progression up an academic ladder. Words weren't weapons or utensils. They were stories. They were friends, windows onto purpose and possibility. I had no idea that I loved words until that year. I didn't know that you could love them. Now, I know that I've been that guy who interjects with annoying word origin stories while everyone's eyes glaze over. In fact, my friend Jay posted a meme on my Facebook profile of two jars. One, a swear jar, where you have to pay a swearing fine each time you slip up. And the other, an unwanted etymology explanation jar. The second jar was full of coins, of course. Occasionally, I get whisked away to that sixth grade playroom when I run across an exciting word connection. Sometimes it's a false trail. It turns out ostentatious and ostriches are sadly unrelated, and other times it's really fruitful. When it is fruitful, I find words have the power to change the way I see and feel about things in a big way. Meaning is transformative, and the world is transfigured in light of it. So, this morning when I heard Mars Hill Audio Journal's host Ken Myers point out an astonishing word connection, I had to write about it. In the following quote, Myers is playing with the word diabolical, and he begins with diabolical's surprising opposite, symbolical. He says, Diabolical and symbolical both come from the Greek verb balain." to throw. We get our word ball from the same word. The preposition sin or sim means together with. The Greek verb symbolo literally means to throw together, to collect, to join or unite or to come together. The Christian creeds were known as symbols of faith, not merely in the sense that they represented the faith but that they were a means by which Christians were united. The verb diabolo by contrast, means literally to throw apart, to set at variance, to separate. Myers points out that the sentences, the creeds unite Christians and the creeds symbolize Christians, are saying the same thing. The verbs unite and symbolize have the same meaning here. Alexander Schmemann puts it this way. He says, The primary meaning of symbol is in no way equivalent to illustration. Today we understand the symbol as the representation or sign of an absent reality, just as there is no real actual water in the chemical symbol H2O. In the original understanding, it is the manifestation and presence of the other reality, which, under given circumstances, cannot be manifested and made present in any other way than as a symbol. Interesting, right? So, symbolical means to unite. Diabolical means to divide. Can you hear it? In El Diablo, Diabolical, Devil, even Satan, it's all the same root word. So let's pretend we're sixth graders and play with these words for a few minutes. Maybe some kind of tapestry of meaning will emerge. First, all of reality emerges from the interlaced life of a three-personed God. There is an uncreated symbol at the very beginning, the Trinity. There is an angel of light who is created and for a time enjoys some kind of participation in the life of the Trinity, but sets himself at variance to God in rebellion and is thrown out of heaven. He is renamed El Diablo, the devil. God creates the cosmos we know and live in. Cosmos is related to the word for cosmetics. Using cosmetics, a woman may order her appearance. And when God cosmoses, he is ordering his creation into a meaningful, integrated wholeness. Just like we order letters into words, words into phrases, phrases into sentences, then paragraphs, and on into stories that speak beautifully of the author's identity, God has lovingly knitted together created reality. It still bears his embedded intention. Even though we've lost a lot of our skill at detecting it. So, all of creation is a vast symbolic manifestation of God's invisible qualities. Enter El Diablo, the enemy of our souls, the diabolical agent and lord of chaos. From the moment the Lord said, Let there be light, the devil's way is ever to contradict what God has dictated. Chaos is anti-cosmos, anti-symbolic. The Lord sends his creative word out, and El Diablo works to deconstruct whatever structure the Lord builds, to destabilize whatever God establishes. In contrast, Jesus is weaving a better story around us, like a safety blanket. It's a story that offers a symbolical reality. For people in a terrifying free fall, Jesus has knotted together along with his fisherman buddies, a net to catch you and set you down on solid ground. And when the storms come, and they will, his household will stand because of what's under its standing, his loving kindness. The story Jesus tells is symbolic which by now you'll realize doesn't mean less than real, but rather that this story unites us with reality. The story Jesus is telling makes wholeness available, makes the fear of chaos conquerable. Jesus offers to knit you together again, like he did the first time in your mother's womb. But this time, as he told Nicodemus, the new birth will be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Lord, the giver of life, the same who brooded over the waters of chaos at the very genesis of the cosmos, like a mama bird waiting for the world to hatch? God at Sinai rescues a rabble of slave tribes and unites or symbolizes them into a nation family. Our Father has sown us into the soil of family, but the devil has snatched up the seed. Jesus has permanently joined Himself to us in the symbolical act of incarnation to re-member, as opposed to dismember, humanity and all creation to the life of the Trinity. In Christ, He abolishes the diabolical division of the dividing wall of hostility between Jew, Gentile, slave and free, man and woman. The Lord tears the temple curtain that sin had diabolically raised to drive apart God. His beloved. In the end, humanity will be symbolized to God, which is the same as saying Jesus will be wedded to a bride. In contrast, the devil is always pulling at the threads, unraveling the fabric, isolating us, always and ever putting asunder what God has joined together. But we have good reason to be courageous. A chosen cornerstone has been laid, and upon it, a new symbol is being built, an everlasting family. God's judgment will mend all things, stitching the stranded threads again into a seamless fabric. Meanwhile, Shemamon says, In the symbol, everything manifests the spiritual reality but not everything pertaining to the spiritual reality appears embodied in the symbol. The symbol is always partial, always imperfect. We look in a clouded mirror. For now, we live in the diabolical separation between God's promised reality and our experience of brokenness. But heaven and earth, too, will be married one day. The gap between how things are And how they should be shall close, and we shall see him face to face. Uh, So this has reminded me of some of Tolkien's thoughts on language, which were deeply influenced by Owen Barfield. Um... Uh, it's too much to go into, but Barfield describes a splintering of meaning over the course of human history, so that at the time um, John 3 was written, where Jesus and Nicodemus discussed being born again, Holy Spirit, breath, and wind are three separate words in English, but they're translated from the same single word in Greek. So Barfield suggests that poetry and imagination can work to um, heal that splintering. And I think that kind of goes along with um, today's essay. So I tried writing a little poem today along those lines to close this episode as a kind of um, prayer. Dear Trinity, unbroken love, All our love's so broken long. All things cry out, In fractured song, together weep in splintered speech. Water once that pooled in lakes, collected calm across the world. Fled vaporous beyond our reach, falls now discreet in droplets cold. We would stand near fountain spray and bathe in it our cracking tongues. And where the fallen fruit once hung, hear chaos healed in wholesome song. Dear uncreated symbol, speak and send your word to water us. Oh, mend the diabolic breach and join us at your wedding feast. Well, that's all for now. Head over to cofferstow.com for updates on speakers and musicians. And remember, registration opens this coming Saturday, March 2nd at 10 a.m. I think that's all. I'm Matthew Clark. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.